Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. Hello, and welcome to the Big Four Zero. That's right, this is the 40th edition of Radar Contact. I can hardly believe it. And the show has been in production for over three years now. I'm so glad you can spend a few minutes with me talking about how to communicate with air traffic control without breaking a sweat. I've been so busy working on the production version of the aircraft radio simulator that it's extremely hard to find extra time to produce this show. With that in mind, today's show is going to cover a lot of ground pretty quickly. So here we go. We pilots are trained to always respond to ATC, but did you know there are times when you should pretend ATC does not exist? It's true. To understand why, all you have to do is think about the limitations of an aircraft radio. An aircraft radio cannot extinguish an onboard fire. If you're about to collide with another airplane, an aircraft radio will do nothing to soften the impact. If severe turbulence turns your aircraft upside down, the radio will not fly the aircraft back to an upright attitude. If you booger up your approach to a landing, the radio will not grab the aircraft controls and initiate a go-around for you. You've heard this mantra from your flight instructor, and I know you've heard me say it a few times. Aviate first, navigate second, and communicate only after aviation and navigation are under control. Or you may have heard it this way, aviate, navigate, communicate means the same thing. Radio communication with ATC is important, but it is not as important as keeping your aircraft and your shiny hiney out of trouble. When things are going wrong in your airplane, forget about the radio and fix your problem. ATC can wait. But do consider this, and this is a judgment call. There will be times when ATC can help you fix your problem. For example, if you are flying VFR and you find the weather is closing in around you, ATC may be able to help you fly towards better weather conditions. As I said, it's a judgment call. In a bad situation, ATC can be a valuable resource, but ATC cannot fly your airplane for you. If flying without distraction is what is required at the moment, then fly the airplane and pretend ATC isn't even there. In my list of times when you should fly first and communicate last, I mentioned a situation in which you are in a collision course with another aircraft. Let's look at that situation again and think about how TCAS factors into the problem. If you're not familiar with TCAS, it stands for Traffic Collision Avoidance System. TCAS works by analyzing data from the transponders of other aircraft in your immediate area. It looks at the flight path and altitude of other traffic and predicts whether or not any aircraft might present a conflict with your flight path. A basic TCAS unit, known as TCAS-1, can provide traffic alerts known as TAs to a pilot. The more advanced TCAS-2 unit not only points out traffic passing near you, it can also provide verbal and in some cases visual instructions to direct you away from that traffic that appears to be on a collision course with your aircraft. This type of intervention is called a Resolution Advisory, or RA, and it works independently of ATC. TCAS is so accurate and reliable that airline pilots are required to follow TCAS vertical guidance, 
even if it does not agree with instructions from an air traffic controller. And here's the reason for that requirement. When TCAS gives a pilot instructions to climb to avoid a collision, for example, the TCAS unit in the other aircraft may also instruct that pilot to descend to avoid a collision. In other words, TCAS units talk airplane to airplane to work out a collision avoidance solution that may require cooperation from pilots in both airplanes. So even if you don't have TCAS in your aircraft, your transponder can still cooperate with other aircraft that do have TCAS. The TCAS system can receive your transponder signal and give the pilot in the TCAS-equipped aircraft a traffic alert if necessary. If your transponder is squawking with Mode C activated, a pilot in a TCAS-equipped aircraft can receive a resolution advisory that directs him to climb or descend to avoid a collision with your aircraft. This process may play out without you even being aware of it in your aircraft. TCAS operation has some significant advantages over ATC communication during a traffic conflict. TCAS works independently of the aircraft radio. That means pilots in both aircraft involved in a conflict may receive collision avoidance instructions simultaneously from their TCAS. An air traffic controller's collision avoidance instructions can be sent only to one pilot at a time over the radio. Obviously, the sooner you respond to collision avoidance instructions, the better your chances of avoiding a collision. If you ever receive collision avoidance instructions from ATC, the Aeronautical Information Manual cautions you to respond immediately to those instructions, not by talking on the radio, but by immediately following those instructions with flight control inputs. And this runs counter to our training as pilots. We are trained to respond to ATC on the radio every time. But this is not the case. Collision avoidance is an exception to our training. For example, if ATC tells you to climb immediately, the AIM says you are to place priority on climbing, not on responding to ATC. The AIM says when you do finally respond on the radio, all you need to say is your call sign and Roger or Wilco or something similar. In fact, It's extremely important to keep your reply as brief as possible. Why? Remember, there are two aircraft involved in this situation. ATC will likely have something critical to say to the pilot in the other aircraft, and you do not want to tie up the radio frequency with a long reply to ATC. I'd be interested in hearing from you if you have a TCAS system in your aircraft that gives you traffic alerts and conflict resolution advisories. I'd also like to know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to avoid a collision based on a TCAS resolution advisory. And hey, while we're on the subject, if you care to talk about it, I'd like to hear your story if you've ever had a near miss with another aircraft and how you avoided a collision. If your story has a good lesson learned and I talk about it in a future edition of Radar Contact, I will de-identify your story, meaning I will not use names, aircraft type, or call sign, or specific location, or really anything that links it back to you. Write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com and tell me your story. Or let me know if you have or have ever used TCAS. I'm sure you already know you're required to get in contact with an airport tower controller prior to entering tower-controlled airspace, but did you know that you do not have to ask permission to leave tower's frequency when leaving the controller's airspace? That's true whether the airport lies within Class D, Class C, or even Class B airspace. 
As a technique, it's a great idea to remain on the local controller's frequency until you're five or more miles outside of his aerospace to monitor the flow of traffic inbound and outbound to the airport. That is technique only. As I've said many times before, you can learn a lot about what is going on around you by listening to what's happening on a radio frequency. That said, I want to emphasize you do not have to ask permission to leave the controller's frequency once you have exited his airspace. In fact, doing so creates an unnecessary transmission on what may be an already congested frequency. It's just another example of a time when it is best not to communicate with ATC. The Aeronautical Information Manual tells us when practicing approaches and landings at a tower-controlled airport, we should request permission to perform a low approach if we plan to do one for practice. Now, here's the kicker. If you are not planning to do a low approach, but you do not like the way your final approach to a landing or a touch-and-go is progressing, that is, you don't feel safe continuing to touch down on the runway, you may go around and make a low approach without requesting permission from ATC. Let me make a stronger statement on the subject. If you need to go around for safety, do not delay your go-around to communicate with Tower. Begin the go-around for safety, then, when you have your go-around under control and you are safely climbing away from the ground, tell the Tower controller you're going around. Your communication with Tower at this point is really a statement of the obvious. The Tower controller will probably see your go-around and know exactly what is happening. Still, there's a chance the controller may not have been looking directly at you when you began your go-around. A tower controller has a lot going on in the tower. For example, the controller may be scanning the pattern for other aircraft, or he may be looking down to grab the landline handset at the moment you initiate your go-around. A radio call to the controller, when everything else is under control, will draw his attention back to you if he has looked away. A radio call also lets the controller know you have the situation under control and you're ready for follow-on instructions from the controller, if necessary. Unless he needs you to do something immediately to deconflict with another aircraft in the pattern, a tower controller will not distract you with a radio call as you begin a go-around. He knows you're busy. We covered a few examples of those times when you should not talk to ATC, at least not immediately. There are many more examples, but they all fall under the same general rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate, in that order. If you'd like to talk more about this or anything else about ATC communication, write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com. I'd love to hear from you. I recently received a question by email from an airline instructor and flight evaluator. We call them Czech Airmen regarding air traffic control during approaches in extremely cold weather. He asked if ATC has any special procedures or changes in phraseology when giving radar vectors to aircraft at airports with very low outside air temperature. I know, I know, it seems strange to be thinking about cold weather operations as we approach the beginning of summer, but this pilot wanted to know how ATC handles the effect of cold temperatures on aircraft altimeters. Let me explain. When the outside air temperature drops below zero degrees Celsius, it begins to have a significant effect on the altimeter indication in your cockpit. Cold air, which is more dense air, makes your altimeter read higher than the true altitude you are actually flying. 
For example, if you're flying at 2,000 feet indicated on your altimeter and the outside air temperature is minus 20 degrees Celsius, then the aircraft's actual altitude will, will be 1,800 feet or 200 feet below the altitude indicated on your altimeter. Now, the colder it gets or the higher you fly, the greater the difference between your altimeter reading and your true altitude. For example, at 5,000 feet, if the air temperature is minus 20, you will actually be flying 710 feet below your indicated altitude. That's pretty significant, huh? So where did I get this information? It's in a table in Chapter 7, Section 2-3 of the Aeronautical Information Manual. And getting back to the question I got by email, does ATC alert pilots to altimeter errors in relationship to cold weather? I got into a discussion about this with a group of air traffic controllers on Twitter, and here's the short answer. No. If you are flying somewhere where the weather is really chilly, you have to do your own research and see how cold weather might affect your altimeter indication. Certainly, if you're flying over hilly or mountainous terrain, or if you're shooting an instrument approach in low visibility, you'll want to think about how cold weather can affect your safety cushion above terrain and obstacles, because ATC is not going to provide you with guidance. Given that it's currently 30 degrees Celsius or 86 degrees Fahrenheit here in Atlanta as I record this, please remind me to bring the subject up again as we approach winter when it's relevant. On the other hand, if you're living somewhere way south in the southern hemisphere, you'll probably need this information right now, so there you go. As I said, the whole conversation with air traffic controllers on cold weather operations played out on my Twitter feed. If you want to see what real air traffic controllers are saying about their procedures, or you want some quick tips and insight for pilots on air traffic control communication, check out my Twitter feed at ATC underscore Jeff at Twitter.com. Or if you don't feel like writing down or memorizing that address, simply click the Twitter follow icon in the right-hand margin of any page at atccommunication.com. At the top of the show, I said I was working hard on the aircraft radio simulator. Boy, that's an understatement. Here's what's done so far. I've completed the core unit that sets you up for success on the radio. The core unit includes good microphone technique, how to say numbers correctly on the radio, and believe me, there are very few pilots who read back numbers exactly the way ATC wants to hear them. I've also finished a challenging session on correct use of your call sign. There is so much misinformation about how to transmit a call sign on the radio that I came up with three different ways to challenge you on the subject using real-world scenarios. Like my books on radio mastery, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at the approach I'm taking with Aircraft Radio Simulator. Just like my books, the simulator course is evolving into a course that uses humor, bad habit crushers, and learning by trial, error, and correction. With the core unit complete, I'm now focusing on flight at uncontrolled airfields and how that prepares you for flight at tower-controlled airports. Still to go is operations in Class D, C, and B airspace, plus en route procedures and technique. The section on working with ATC during emergencies will be full of gut checks and surprises that should be worth the price of admission all by itself. I'm also including, just for fun, fantasy flights out of the United States' largest and busiest airports, 
You'll get to talk to simulated controllers at places like Chicago's O'Hare, Boston's Logan, and New York's LaGuardia. And because I want to make this as realistic as possible, I will include the special nuances and habit patterns of the controllers at each of these big airports. As you find yourself in your little recip airplane sandwiched between the Boeings and Airbuses at these airports, it will feel like you're actually talking to major league controllers under stress during a hairy rush hour. Like I said, it should be a lot of fun, which I believe is still the best way to learn anything. The aircraft radio simulator is a mountain of work to produce, which is why I'm going to land and hold short on this edition of Radar Contact and move to your final segment of the show. You know it as your question of the week. You are preparing to taxi at a tower-controlled airport. You have contacted ground control for taxi instructions. The ground controller says, Cessna 9130 Delta Dory Ford Ground, runway 28. Taxi via Alpha, then right on Delta, left on Bravo, hold short of runway 3 on Bravo 1. Here's your challenge. Give me a readback of these taxi instructions that includes only the items the AIM says are required in your readback. When you think you know the answer to that challenge, go to atccommunication.com forward slash answers. There you'll find a complete answer along with a full explanation of how that answer was derived. Music for the show was provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. This show, while shorter than usual, is pretty jam-packed. If it seemed overwhelming or if it left you with any questions, I'm always available to give you the extra time you need. Write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com and we'll talk at a more leisurely pace. As always, if you're flying this week, I hope you have a great time and beautiful weather. I'm Jeff Canarish for atccommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.